Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Morning, there, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. I presume that uh, you were spared of the ravage of the storms that swept through the Magnolia State once again. I was spared the ravage, but I wasn't spared the rain. Okay. How it about, was uh, uh, raining sideways when I was going to bed last night. It's Torrance, was it not? <laughs> oh, man. Well, there's trees down all over the place, debris, and folks without power once again, right? I think we got going on. Oh, yeah. We kick off the program and the week, the last one in the month of June, the halfway point of the year with State Auditor Shad White. Good morning there, Mr. Auditor. Morning, thanks brother. for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So you have been doing a little work investigating the um, the ratcheting up, shall we say, of these diversity, equity, and inclusion programs uh, that really happening uh, and pervading every every corner of society. Yep. But it's fair to say ground zero for that is uh, the higher ed environment. Yep. And we're seeing that even here in the great state of Mississippi. You did a little digging, your office did, yep. on that, and you uh, found some things going on that uh, you think the taxpayers needed to know about, so you put a report together. Yeah, Tell us about that. You're exactly right, Gerard. So so nationwide, you've seen you've seen studies and exposés of, of DEI initiatives, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and a lot of those exposés have shown that big companies, I'll use an example, Coca-Cola, have DEI training where they're telling employees to, quote, be less white. Their words, not my words. Yep. So this is obviously highly controversial. And the thing I notice over and over again is people assume that when they read about this stuff happening in other places in the country, they assume that that is not happening here in Mississippi. And and I'm here to tell you, there's always a chance that something like that is happening here in Mississippi, especially if you're talking about DEI trainings at universities, because our universities are not immune from the same sorts of temptations and faculty types that you see at the University of Minnesota or the University of Ohio State University or wherever it may be. So we start 
started doing some digging, to your point, and we looked at uh, our public universities in Mississippi, and we wanted to know how much they were spending on DEI initiatives. And I wanted to know more specifically how much they're spending out of taxpayer dollars, your money, if you're listening out there and paying taxes in Mississippi, how much they were spending out of your money on DEI initiatives. The answer is between 2019 and today, you, our public universities spent about $23 million mm-hmm. on DEI. Uh, out of your money, that's about $11 million state taxpayer dollars. And so then the follow-on question, of course, is, all right, well, What's that money going for? What are we paying for? Well, one thing that we found initially was we're definitely not paying for a ton of scholarships for kids coming from impoverished environments. You know, if the goal is to recruit and retain a diverse student body at our public universities, you would think you would want a bunch of money to go to, I don't know, call me crazy, say scholarships for kids coming from poor neighborhoods. Uh, But that's not what the money is really going for. Seventy percent of the dollars this past year went to pay for salaries for DEI. Mm. staff Mm. at public universities. And then people ask the next question, which is, what are those folks doing? What are the adults doing? What trainings are they running? What seminars are they putting on? How are they spending my money? And what are they using that money to teach to impressionable 18-year-olds who are going to our universities? So, you know, Rhino and I have talked about this quite a bit and, and have done some research on that. Rhino, I think it was you who came across uh, some information that said uh, I'm trying to remember. It was the Ohio, the Ohio State, State University. Yeah. Like 132 people 167. in their, in their DEI yeah. organization. Yeah. And these are not inexpensive uh, staff either. No. These are highly compensated individuals. Yes. We also learned that at the uh, University of Michigan, more in the DEI department than in the uh, the history department in the liberal arts, which is in crazy, which is crazy. And then there are you and I were talking about this before we came on the show in states that we typically think about being red and perhaps immune from this sort of stuff. Florida, yep. the University of Florida, unbelievable yep. uh, expose on the University of Florida and yep. their adoption of DEI, including in their admissions in their medical school. Yep, which is ridiculous. Yep. So also Texas A and M, another another institution. You wouldn't think you'd find this sort of stuff. It's pervasive. Yep. Let's be honest, and it's happening here in Mississippi. That's right. So for the benefit of our audience, uh, Mr. Auditor, help us understand the breakdown of uh, of the revenue picture mm-hmm. for a public university. How much comes from the state? How much comes from tuition grants, etc. Other sources, and, and then. With respect to state funds, over which you're responsible yep. uh, for ensuring they are, are properly accounted for and spent, is there any sort of uh, state uh, stipulation on how that money can be spent? That's a great question. So so the percentage of an institution's money that's coming from the state varies by the institution, depends on things like how successful they are at fundraising on their own and that sure. sort of thing. So you, you might say, okay, well, some of our institutions, you know, less than a fourth of their revenue is coming from state taxpayers. But the real question at the end of that, second question that you asked is, okay, well, if they spend any funds or they spend taxpayer dollars in a way that clearly conflicts with the values of Mississippi voters and taxpayers, what can be done? What happens at the end of it? Well, one of two things, either they have spent money in a way that's illegal and my office can get involved and can say, no, you're not allowed to do that. We can issue demands on the university or the people who benefit and they have to pay that money back. But in this case, in the case of DEI, there's nothing illegal about them spending that money. Right. 
Uh, so really part of the purpose of this study was to say, all right, taxpayers, look, here's where your money's going, some of your money. And, and just like in Florida, where last year they discovered that taxpayer dollars were going through their public universities to pay for DEI, we need to make a decision now. Yep. Taxpayers need to make a decision about whether or not they're comfortable with their money going toward this. And if they are, then fine. Move on your way. Have a great day. Yep. If you're not comfortable with it, you need to call your legislator and ask them to pass similar legislation that's been passed in other states, which demands that taxpayer dollars not be used on DEI initiatives or okay. initiatives that, that make folks uncomfortable because they're they're carrying a message that we don't want our young people being exposed to, at least not through the subsidy of taxpayer dollars. Somebody asked me this the other day. They said, wait a minute. I thought that universities were the place where, where ideas, including ideas that may be controversial, <laughs> are supposed to be debated. And I said, 100% they are. I went to Harvard Law School, and I took a class where I had to read the Communist Manifesto, and the same day we had to read Road to Serfdom by Hayek, two <laughs> diametrically opposed viewpoints, right? That's fine. That's okay. But you should not be at a public university using taxpayer dollars to promote one position right. over all the others. And that's what DEI does. That's the danger there. But in your experience, though, that you just discussed at Harvard, uh, being assigned to read those two really diametrically opposed philosophies, if yep. you will, that makes total sense. Yep. And then you make your own decision. But when it gets to the point where there's preferential treatment or it's just skewed in one direction yep. and there's special uh, uh, accommodations made for yep. certain groups, yep. that's when it becomes a problem. That's right. Or when we start putting your one's physical immutable traits in operational policies, yep. uh, admissions, uh, compensation, promotion, hiring, a job assignment, that becomes a problem yep. because that shouldn't enter into it. What I would like to propose to you that I'd like to see happen, if I were in charge, this is what I would do at a university. I'd eliminate the DEI departments. Yep. What I would create is what I would call a department of exclusion. And their <laughs> job would be to find, identify, locate, ensure that there are no exclusionary practices mm-hmm. happening. We don't exclude anybody based on their sex, their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their national origin, yep. those sorts of immutable character. We don't exclude, but we don't give you preferential treatment either. Yep. I mean, that's what yep. makes sense to me. Yep. I'll give you another example of a way to handle this if you're if you're at a university and they're not doing this. Uh, so so one thing that we found is uh, the University of Mississippi. Again, my alma mater, I love Ole Miss. And mine. Uh, University of Mississippi uh, used a DEI staffer to build an event to promote a book. Uh, the book is called How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's by Ibram Kendi. Kendi. Uh, I've read it. Uh, it's it is. Uh, hot garbage yep. is a nice way of saying it, I guess. Uh, one of the core tenets of the book is this idea, again, his words, not mine, um, the only remedy to past discrimination is current discrimination. Okay, so now we have a university event promoting this idea. If they wanted to have balance, they could have another conservative author, let's say Heather McDonald, yeah. who could come on and say, look, I understand his points, but we need to talk about how let's say, affirmative action and some of the things that you're proposing, current discrimination actually hurts the body of young doctors that are going to go through our medical school because that that should be based on merit and not something else. You could have divergent viewpoints being debated in univer- at a university, but that's not what's going on. What's going on is the use of taxpayer dollars to promote one side of that story, that's not wrong. both. That's wrong. 
We got Auditor Shad White. You can hang around. Sure, okay. of course. We got yes, Auditor sir. Shad White in the Element Well Studios this morning. Getting pretty fired up today. Coming right back <laughs> after the break. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. We've got Auditor Shad White in the Element Well studio. So um, <laughs> you were talking about Coca-Cola, and I told you, and I've told the audience before, I'm actually a plaintiff in a class action lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And it's not because we're mad that they're adopting all these ESG and DEI programs. It's because that in doing so, are you abdicating your fiduciary responsibility yep. as a company, as a board, as management? To produce maximum returns for investors. We've gotten to the point where this social justice stuff yep. seems to trump just good old-fashioned profit. Yep. No profit, no jobs, yep. no innovation, yep. no wealth creation, yep. no societal progress. People want to know, too, why is this happening? I think a lot of folks who are used to an America where this is not going on are taken aback by this. They're surprised that this is seeping into our culture, that's seeping through our corporations, they don't understand. And I'm here to tell you that the world is different today than it ever has been in the history of American capitalism. No doubt. So think about the 1960s. In the 1960s, you had hippies who were socially liberal, but they were really diametrically opposed to most of the corporate leadership in America at the same time. So yep. really, The establishment, the they call establishment, it. The establishment, right? Yep. So they really didn't have as much power as they could have if they had captured the commanding heights of all the biggest businesses. That's not what's happening today. What's happening today is that the social radicals have also captured the commanding heights of the biggest businesses in the world. And people want to know why. I'm here to tell you why. It's because those folks get indoctrinated at our universities, and I've been through several of our universities, three of them, uh, in the last 20 years. They they get indoctrinated in these universities, and then they're the ones who get hired as corporate executives to run the biggest companies in the world. That's where they get trained. That's where they get trained. And, And so if you look... Uh, this goes back to also the death of religion in America. If you look at the a lot of these folks who are pushing this agenda, the thing that they believe in most is social justice. They've been trained in the universities. This is their highest held value. And yes, they go into corporate America to make a good paycheck for their families, and maybe they like the idea of business. But once they get there... They take those values with them, and they see this as a golden opportunity to sing from the hymnal that, that is their church, that came from their <laughs> church. And so they start doing that at the biggest businesses, and people are shocked when they look up and they see that Bud Light's doing something that they don't agree with. 
you could not imagine a company like that in the 1960s doing something that would that would offend all of their consumers or their shareholders but that's that's not what's going on right now and so we really need we need visibility inside these big companies but if you want to get at the root of the problem you have to stop the indoctrination of of 18-year-olds going into our universities who are impressionable, who are listening to a bunch of nonsense from professors that and sometimes are being sometimes are being subsidized with taxpayer dollars. It uh, unfortunately it's a pipeline, it's a conduit straight from the classroom, yeah. straight from those indoctrination centers, which is really what they are. They're supposed to be the laboratory of diverse thought, right? Yep. That was the purpose of yep. a college education, just like you said. You got Ibram Kendi's book, uh, and then what was the other one you got? Heather McDonald. Heather would be McDonald's a great, book. Yeah. A great book to juxtapose and put it yes. against it. Yes. Uh, but that's not happening. No, it's not. And she wrote one I shared with you before we came on the program called The Diversity Delusion. I think it's about five years old. Yep. And it's awesome. And then it's her experience traveling around speaking on college campuses, many times getting shouted down to the point where she just had to close up the speech yep. and exit, which is ridiculous. So much for the tolerant left, That's I right. guess. They don't like what they're hearing. That's right. It, it's just incredible, but you're right. I think it's ground zero. And now what we're seeing is that it's matriculating down even below that into the K-12 space. Oh, oh Big e- time. Ibram Kendi has written a baby book. For, it's a version of his How to Be an Anti-Racist book. So the same book that they're promoting at this DEI event at the University of Mississippi has a version for kids, babies. And so you have to realize that the project of the left is to get into kids' heads as early as possible to make sure that they have this pipeline of people who believe what they believe because they feel morally called to promote this worldview. And, and what you and I know, and probably most <laughs> of your listeners know, is that this worldview can destroy our country if we're not careful. It yes. can destroy it. So we have to we have to be willing to push back. And look, in order to push back, you are going to have to face some personal costs. So for me, I have people who... Uh, who, who are lifelong friends who will tell me they'll never never be friends with me again for simply pointing out what's happening in our universities, for simply showing them the dollars and cents of how much is going to DEI. But the, the, the point for me is that I have three kids. I would love for those three kids to go to a university here in Mississippi, but I have to do everything in my power while I'm in a position of influence to stop those universities from breaking under the weight of their own agendas. That's the goal. That's the big picture goal. And that, to me, those three kids, those kids are far more important to me than any other relationships that I will burn in the process or anybody that I'll make mad politically or anybody who gets uncomfortable with me just pointing out the facts. That's not the priority. The priority has to be about the future and the the kind of state we're going to leave. I can't tell you the number of contemporaries I have, auditor, who have have kids like me who are in their, their 20s, early 30s, and especially if they have multiple and they'll say, yeah, one of them just went awry. And I can't, they can't explain it, why they just went far-left liberal loony. Yep. And it's because they went to school. That's right. That's what happened. And they ate it up. And, yep. they're, and they're, there's they, the left says, oh, no, we're not grooming. But grooming doesn't necessarily just exclusively apply to grooming some sort of sexual orientation yep. or acceptance yep. of sexual deviancy, honestly. It also means grooming to buy into this whole idea of, of a putting 
uh, diversity, if you will, and in, in these uh, these physical traits above merit. Yep, that's that's a grooming as well that's going on. That's right. The, the framework that they use is oppressor oppressed. Yes, they want to teach young people that they need to think about the world in terms of oppressors and oppressed, and to always try to find the oppressed person. That's right. And, and the better you are at finding somebody who's being oppressed. The better you are at this game and the smarter you are and the more compassionate you are. And that is dangerous. And I'll tell you why it's dangerous, because it teaches people to think of others and themselves as victims first. And this is not how you build humans who are self-confident, who can set goals for themselves, who, who believe they can achieve their goals. It is not how you promote human flourishing. We should be telling folks that you can you can achieve what you want to if you're willing to work hard and fight through adversity. And things are not going to work out every time, but that does not mean that there's some magical oppressive system that is holding everybody back. Your job is to fight for the goals that you set for yourself. And, and that is a message that I think humans want to grab onto. But we have to have an equal seat at the table telling an 18-year-old, that version of the truth are, are, are the truth uh, and and combating the version that's coming from the left. And we don't have that at universities right now. They're, we not, don't have getting, they're not getting balance. It's it's uh, interesting you say that. It made me think about Tim Scott's recent appearance on The View, where he basically had to explain to the people on The View, yep. hey, look, I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you say all this is going on, how the heck did I get here? Yep. So, uh, which is just a, a, a great point. Um it's a grievance industry, is yep. what um, um, I call it. It seems like it, and it's a shakedown to a great extent. It has given rise to a, just a, a giant complex of consulting organizations, yes. all of whom come calling highly compensated people, yes. by the way, that are doing this sort of stuff. And what they're peddling is, as you said, hot garbage. I shared on the program perhaps the first story I think I ever shared about this, going back um, to uh, 2020 in the wake of the George Floyd incident, which really saw this take hold. In yep. corporate America in particular. Yep. So Sandia Labs, wanted to share this with you. Sandia National Laboratories, this is the contractor that builds the U.S. nuclear weapon arsenal. So they I'm already take, terrified where the story is going. They, they, <laughs> right. They take all their people off-site, their management team off-site, oh. for a week of so-called DEI training. This is back in 2020. And the participants were told that the roots of white male culture consist of rugged individualism, a can-do attitude, hard work, and striving towards success. They are, in fact, the consultants teach, devastating to women and people of color. Gosh. So striving towards success, and you're building nuclear weapons? (laughs) Help me with that one. Well, we'll think about if you're... um if you're a woman who is a manager at that company, you just had somebody tell you that taking ownership of your life and showing up on time and working hard is a dude thing. How insulting is that? Crazy. How ins- it's insulting to the very people that they claim to be wanting to help. And that's that's the crazy thing here is that this ideology is is dangerous. And as long as we can have a debate about it, we're going to win. We just need an even playing field. We need folks who are willing to step up and talk about this and debate folks head on on the other side, and that's how you win. That's how you win the hearts and minds of people who are growing up right now. The idea is to give the students all the ideas from the spectrum of yeah. ideas and then let them discern and decide. That's Bingo. how you learn how to critically think. Bingo. If you can hang, we'll talk mm-hmm. some more. We got Auditor Shad White in the Element Well studio. Da, 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 da.
You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studios with Auditor Shad White. So I, I share this with you. Um, I have been a subscriber to Harvard Business Review. Fantastic publication for years. I use it in business. Get lots of ideas, mm-hmm. especially on organizational management. Yep. Really, really good pieces there. And a lot of people would be surprised, I think, and you're a graduate um, there, or alumnus, that especially in the B school, it's all not left wing wackos. Correct. Yeah, quite, correct. Quite a few aren't. I went to the law school a little bit further a left than the B school, but, but the B right. school, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And most of the, the content comes from yep. the B school professors. Yep. It's it's excellent. So they also do um, podcast. I wouldn't call it a podcast, but really it's just recorded interviews mm-hmm. with um, various um, corporate figures. So I I got interested in one that was recorded with Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta. Delta at the mm-hmm. time was my largest customer. Mm-hmm. I said, this ought to be good. I want to hear what the – we never got to meet the CEO. We dealt with the IT yep. teams. And I'm listening and enjoying it. And about five minutes into it, he makes the statement that the only reason he attained that level in this big corporation was because he's a white male. And at that point, I pretty much turned it off. I mean, I'm yeah. so disappointed to hear that. Well, gee, Mr. Bastian, do you not think it maybe had a little bit to do with your qualifications, yeah. your your resume, your experience, your capabilities? He doesn't believe that, because if he believed that, he would voluntarily step down the moment he totally realized agree. that. And totally he would give it to somebody else. But and he believes that he's the best person to run the company. Of course. And that's why he kept his job. Of course. So, and, and that's fine. So who cares? That's I mean, right. at the end of the day, why, yep. why are we so wrapped up in Gordian knots over this? I mean, we yep. shouldn't be, yep. honestly. And, and, you know, it's important for society to continue to promote merit. Uh, you and I were talking about this. Vivek Ramaswamy is um, is actually a friend of my wife's. Um, he's running for president right now. He's talked a lot about returning to uh, a culture where we value merit. Yep. And the reason that's important, I can't even believe you have to say this out loud, but the reason that's important is if you want the best doctors, if you want the best airline pilots, if you want the best nuclear engineers handling nuclear material, you need to promote on merit. Yeah. Period. And that's all that, the end of all it. of that adds up collectively to the best outcomes for society. Absolutely. That's where innovation comes from. That's where the quality of life improves when we put people that are the most qualified in positions to make a value contribution. When the Chinese see us debating DEI, (laughs) they laugh. And they laugh all the way to the bank because they know their economy is going to be better because they're not concerned with that. They know their military is going to be stronger because they're not concerned with that. They're laughing all the way to the bank when they see us do stuff like this. And so that's why it's important for us to be for us to be assertive in making sure that people understand how bad this stuff is and to be assertive in framing up an argument that counters it. And, and the thing that 
you know, worries me a lot when I talk to other folks who agree with us. So I'll just say, you know, folks who vote in the Republican primary in Mississippi. Yeah. Those are folks who generally, I would think, agree with us, Gerard. But I talk to a lot of them, and a lot of them, they'll say stuff like, well, you know, this just isn't the biggest deal in the world, and it's not happening in Mississippi, and this really isn't changing our society all that much, and you just don't need to pay that much attention to this kind of stuff. Read. Read. It's not true. <laughs> Open the newspaper. Read about what's going on at these big companies, at these universities. Read about what it's doing to the core institutions of our society, and then come back and tell me if you think it's not that big of a deal. And I have uh, – there are people that listen to our sh- our show. Um, and in Texas that work for some of these big companies, but there and we have a lot of people in Mississippi because we don't have a lot of big corporate headquarters here, yep. but we have a lot of people who work for those companies yep. that uh, reside in Mississippi, and they and they share some of that stuff. Yep. So I saw a report recently that um, I hope I get this right, but in the in the K through twelve amongst that sort of that age group, that in in this country. The most coveted job is to be a YouTube vlogger. <laughs> Seriously, that, that ranks is disturbing. The top. Disturbing. And in in China, you know, it's I don't know, an engineer or something, some yeah. sort, of, something useful to yep. society. And I'm not saying vlogging's not useful, but everybody can't be a vlogger. Right. Right. The, the interesting thing here is that you know <laughs> kids have always wanted sort of uh, unobtainable. Yeah. Maybe frivolous things like yeah. for for us growing up, it was being an NFL player, yeah. right? Like that was a hundred percent what every little boy wanted to do. Everybody wanted to be a quarterback or a running back or a wide receiver, and, <laughs> and of course, none of us achieved that dream. I'm thinking back about my elementary school class. None of us made the NFL, uh, and that's okay to have those kinds of wild and crazy dreams when you're young. But it shows you that young kids are impressionable. No doubt. And so the things that they're being taught in the K-12 system and in college are going to shape what they want to be and why they want to do that thing. And if you're telling kids that you know there's this horrible oppressive system that we must all we must all strive to overturn, and then you know as you're engaging in your career later on, it doesn't matter what you become, you have to help us overturn this system. Some of those kids are going to be interested in corporate finance, and they're going to be interested sure. in corporate management, and they're going to go on to big businesses, and then and then you have a problem. And then you have a problem because they've been indoctrinated in this belief, and now they're running the biggest business in the world, and now they have the capital that those businesses hold at their disposal, and that is dangerous. And I'll just tell you, it's dangerous for the businesses themselves because no eventually consumers wake up and push back. You know, I remember two different things. I remember a few years ago, you know, when when NFL players started kneeling before the national anthem, I found this truly offensive. As the grandson of two veterans, as somebody who serves in the Mississippi National Guard, I did not think that this was appropriate to do, uh, and I, I thought that this, this should be a moment that we're we're standing unified when the national anthem happened. Uh, and people started talking about boycotting the NFL, and that lasted about three seconds, yeah. and then it it, it went nowhere, right? Yeah. You're seeing things change, though, because now when Bud Light does something that people find offensive or when Target does something that people find offensive, conservatives are finally realizing, hey, we have to do something and we have to be unified and we have to stand up and say something. And even if you get called mean names on Twitter, you have to be willing to stick up for your values or you are going to be railroaded at every possible turn because the forces that you're going against are far more powerful than they were five and 10 and 15 years ago. That's the charge now. That's the mission for us now. Yeah, agree. So, and one thing we could do as responsible adults where, uh, where we can is to be a counter and just a, a voice of common sense 
at the house. The problem we have yeah. is way too many single-parent households, fatherless uh, homes. Mississippi doesn't score very well in that category. In fact, yeah. last time I looked, we have the highest percentage of children raised in a single-parent home, highest percentage of fatherless homes. Yep. I looked at the data. It's actually come down nationwide a little bit since 2012, which yep. is where we hit the peak. Which is Still great. Still way too high, yep. though. So talk about how that impacts society. I know you've taken an interest in this, have written about it, spoken about it. It, it is really, really important. You know, uh, we know based on the social science studies of, of kids who grow up without an engaged father, they're, they're 20 times more likely to go to prison. They're nine times less likely to graduate from high school. They're five times more likely to be in poverty. And, and you're right. The last time I looked at the stats, and, and this this moves up and down a little bit, but we we had the second highest percentage of kids born into single parent households, right behind West Virginia. We're always competing with them for that last spot. Yeah. And, and when you fast forward into kids' life, you see all of these tragic outcomes play out. And so there are two different things that go on. One is that you know they're they're on this path where they can succeed, but it's much more difficult to succeed at your job, finishing your education, all that sort of stuff. But they also don't get the day-to-day mentoring from their parents that teach them soft skills about uh, how to how to stand up for yourself, how to set goals, how to show up on time, all the things that lead to a normal healthy adult life. Yeah. So that goes on. But I, I think when you're talking about DEI, too, it's important to bear in mind that you have good, stable families with both parents in the household who just don't think that this DEI stuff is a big deal, and they don't ever talk to their kids about what they believe about the world. And they don't talk to their kids in a way that, that frames up an argument for what the proper values are that they should be thinking about. And then they send their kids off to you know a private school or, or maybe even a public school uh, and, and then once they go to university they're in, a, in an environment where they can't control the narrative that right. their kid is hearing and they haven't prepared them to push back on anything right. the kid only hears one side of it and then you wake up and you wonder why your 25 year old son or daughter doesn't agree with you on anything and seems to be indoctrinated with a set of views that you find completely outside the realm of common sense. It's it's because we haven't done a good job of preparing ourselves as a society for teaching young people how to think about these things, how to think critically about the world around them and the debate to to tussle through these ideas and to not accept everything that an adult is telling them. Yeah, the sad thing is, you know, you, you want, of course, teach children to respect authority and have some degree of respect for uh, those older than them, adults. But you've also, it's its a shame that adults are taking advantage of that yep. in, in the K-12 and in the learning uh, development period of yep. a child's life. But that's exactly what's happening. They're abusing that privilege, if you will, yep. and they take advantage of it. They indoctrinate and they brainwash. But, well, we got to keep talking about this, uh, Mr. Right. Auditor. I know it's important to you. It's important to me, certainly, and a lot of people in the state of Mississippi. It is, unfortunately, going on here. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to report it, expose it. But we got to talk to our legislature about it. We don't want our money going to That's this right. anymore. That's and thank you for letting me come on and frame this up and, and talk to people about what's going on in Mississippi. You got I appreciate it. it. Good to see you. I'm sure we'll see you at the Shelby yes, County sir. Fair, right? It'll be hot. I'll be there. <laughs> uh, we got uh, had a great talk here with State Auditor Shad White. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
It really is upside down. Welcome back, everyone. This it's a march to mediocrity. It's it's uh, the way I like to describe it. I do believe that there are just too many examples where merit, qualifications, experience, skills, capabilities, value are replaced in consideration for employment, admission, compensation, promotion, job assignment. We just played, for example, uh, remember this, Rhino, a couple of weeks ago, the lieutenant general who heads the Space Force, the new branch of the military. And it was the pride celebration. Air Force, military. In in the... uh, in the tape, in the video, she said that embracing the LGBTQ community, for example, is a force multiplier and a war-fighting imperative. I, I can't connect those dots. How is that a force multiplier? Because you have embraced it, and in all your recruiting efforts... Your promotion, your branding. It's chock full of that subject matter. Yet we're falling behind. We are behind on our recruiting goals, so it doesn't seem like it's working. It just seems like there's so much focus, so much emphasis in highlighting of that as opposed to we don't really care, we just want people that are qualified, willing, and dedicated, committing to serving and being ready to fight the next war, which we hope never happens. But getting ready is the deterrent. So in I said, by the way, that the kids in China aspired to be engineers. I was wrong. It's astronaut. So 58% of 8- to 12-year-olds surveyed in this country want to be YouTube vloggers. And in China, they want to be astronauts. To the auditor's point about they're laughing at us, the way we're focused and just tied up in these knots over this stuff. And again, I I, don't condone or support discrimination, but I also don't condone or support preferential treatment. Now, what the left will tell you is this is necessary to make amends and to atone for the past. It's not good enough just to just to introduce and establish equality in society. Nope. We got to give money out. We got to uh, use these physical attributes in all of our policies and practices of admission and hiring. Like I just said, I don't want to go through that again. But that that the idea there is is that's kind of a a non-compensatory form of reparations, of atonement. It's never enough. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? It's never enough, no matter what. The, the, uh, the goal continues to move. Can't, you can't really get fixed on the goal and say, okay, we got there. Can't do that anymore. And that's just not right. What we should be focusing on in this state is, why do we have so many single-parent households? And Gosh, so many studies through the years have shown that, as the auditor said, you're just a lot 
more inclined to live a life of poverty. Prison. Not end up in college, for example, to get the education that would prepare you for certain job prospects. Not that you have to, of course, but even without that, you've still got to attain some skills to work jobs that don't require a college degree. And you're just not as likely to gain those if you're living in single-parent households. That's not to say that there aren't kids that come out of single-parent households. There absolutely are numerous success, success stories. Statistically speaking, however, it's just fact. The, uh, the prospects are, are dimmer. Just, they just are. That's just a fact. So we should be working on that. As we approach the primary, by the way, here in Mississippi, the um, primary on August the 8th, coming up, 45 days, right? I'm seeing more and more candidates, Rhino, that are exposing, if you will, communicating their ideas and their policy positions, and, and I'm... I'm seeing more and more of these these priorities are more related to national, federal policy and law than state. It's like there's confusion. Are you running for U.S. House or Mississippi House? And I'll go through some of those that I'm seeing out there in social media world, etc., when we come back, it's time for Fox News and Super Talk News now. That's all day long. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays. It's a Monday. It's a brand new week. That means at 12.05 today, it's Super Talk Outdoors with host Ricky Matthews. So it's a short day. Tomorrow, where are we going to be, Rhino? Down at the Mississippi Municipal League. Which can be kind of difficult to say, so that's why they call it MML. MML, that is correct. That's where we're going to be on the coast in Biloxi. This is for their annual meeting. You'll hear local leaders from across the state as they talk about the future of the Magnolia State. So I'll be down there at the Coast Coliseum and Convention Center. Come on by and see us. Love to see you. Ran into all kinds of folks last year, first time I had hosted the show from that uh, venue. Looking forward to that again tomorrow. Going to be a hot one this week, correct? Triple digits a couple of days, is that right? Supposedly. Wow. With a real feel of up around 110 in some places. Man, that's not fit for man or beast, is it? <laughs> Makes me wonder how we survived pretty much the same exact temperatures without air conditioning. Very true. Very true. I mean, when I grew up, we didn't have any air conditioning. I think I was about in high school before we got air conditioning. Had the big old fans, the window fans, slept to that. 
which just blew humid air in the bedroom. Is that back when they called air conditioning refrigeration? No, it was called air conditioning then, but there was a time when it was, and that was uh, quite an ingenious de- invention, right? Wasn't that the Linux, Mr. Linux? I think, I think so, was the yeah. inventor of all that stuff. So, but we're back, and we thank you so much for joining us. I thought it was a good interview with the state auditor, and I appreciate him digging into all that stuff. Something you and I have been talking about, again, going back to 2020, when all this really started to sweep the nation and invade corporate boardrooms, of course it already taken hold in the college setting, but it, it just intensified, really, in the wake of the George Floyd incident. So I sent you, <laughs> you saw what I sent you out of the email. So Stephen Moore's newsletter Stephen Moore, of course, an economist, a noted economist, served in the Trump administration, a conservative economist, and he produces a newsletter called Unleash Prosperity. It's a good read. And he featured um, a, a, uh, a video, South Park cartoon, that Rhino shared with me a few months ago, and it's like eight years old, right? And this is about uh, the... Older than that. I want to say it was 2005 or 2006 is when it came out. Okay. And so it's a parody on the transgender movement, if you will. I'm calling it a movement because i got to tell you, folks, there's not a day that goes by in consuming all these various newsletters, reports, uh, newspapers that I do, news sources. They're just chock full of reports and articles opinions, etc., on this whole transgender stuff. And it's everything from from policy to events, uh, just a spectrum. But that that video is is funny, but who knew back then just how that would materialize and become reality and commonplace? And it's about, I think that particular one does have the uh, the profanity bleeped out the one I sent you you may check it out play it later but it's um it it's just a a guy a child if you will like I would say middle school age maybe a little younger I think at that point in time they were still third graders okay they, they've only been in two grades in the entire okay twenty some odd years of South Park all right so elementary school and just just bust up into the girls' bathroom. What are you doing here? I'm transgender. <laughs> what? That's and that, here we are, right? I mean, that was. Um, it's unbelievable how how they were able to predict that. Uh, but they did, and uh, did the South Park people? Wow. So before we went to break, I was just talking about. The elections here in Mississippi that are coming up the in August, the primaries, and, and I've just noted that lots of candidates, I guess for political gain, are, are denouncing lots of stuff that's going on at the federal level, federal policy, the sweeping uh, that, that, of course, applies across the nation, and then some of the cultural nonsense that's also enveloping the nation. I, I just 
don't see what that has to do with running for the House of Representatives in the state of Mississippi or the Senate or even statewide office. I'd like to see the candidates truly focus on exclusively matters that are pertinent to the state of Mississippi. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot of conflation and combining of federal policy with state policy. You guys seen this out there? And and so I've um, I've seen things that I, I don't really see as a problem. I don't view as a problem in the state of Mississippi that necessarily needs immediate action. I don't see that. Um, but yet, it's being brought up. So I, I did see one person say, for example, make sharp reductions in receipt of federal dollars that require social agendas or green initiatives. Reduce federal influence and dependency on federal dollars. I think this is a a noble goal. I really do. But we need specifics. And so when you look at the money the state of Mississippi receives, it's more than double that which comes out of the state's general fund. that receives from the federal government. It's more than double what comes out of the federal fund, uh, the general fund, pardon me. And that's fairly evenly divided, for the most part, between Medicaid, the biggest recipient of federal dollars, and education. And then you've got federal dollars that go to infrastructure, roads and bridges, where applicable. So I guess the question is, should we tell the federal government we don't want their money for our, our roads and bridges? Because we get a lot. Should we do that? Should we tell the federal government, we don't want your Medicaid money anymore? It's $6 billion a year. It's approaching seven. Our part's about $900 million to a billion. Should we tell the federal government, don't send that anymore? That's a serious question. And I still implore all those who are strongly opposed to expanding the coverage groups in Medicaid, so-called Medicaid expansion, are they willing to author a bill, introduce a bill, that would just remove Mississippi from participating in Medicaid? If Medicaid expansion is bad, then it seems like that it's logical that Medicaid is bad. Is somebody willing to do that? It's a serious question. Uh, Medicaid expansion would bring about a billion of federal dollars. Just tack that onto the existing six plus billion we receive. It would cost the state about a hundred million. Uh, strictly from a business perspective, uh, regardless of how you feel about it philosophically, that's a pretty good return on investment. You throw in a hundred million, you get a billion. But should we tell the federal government, don't send that money? Should we tell the federal government, don't send that money for education? And I agree that some of the strings attached to that are are disturb, disturbing. But that means we'd have to pick the tab up. Where's that money going to come from? And then you get into 
the discussion of, okay, well, how can we cut expenses? Well, we just gave $250 million a year of teacher pay raises. But it's just something to think about. And then the, the subject of term limits, you see that a lot proposed by conservative candidates. That's, um, that's kind of a staple in the conservative war chest. Uh, I have mixed feelings about that. I don't understand why we seem to elect the same people if we want term limits. Why do we keep setting them back? And then some people who are advocating for term limits are running for, like, their fourth term. So why don't they self-limit themselves? Just, I'm not running. I'm just, are all these people willing to make a pledge? I'd like to see that. I will not run for more than two terms. Because that's typically what you see, Rhino, is the, the term limit proposition usually limits it to two two terms, usually is what's most people. Maybe in the U.S. House where it's two-year terms, I've seen three to four terms as a proposal. But in the Senate, two terms. And then... In Mississippi, both House and Senate are four-year terms. I've seen that usually being called uh, for limitation of two terms. Are they willing to sign a pledge that says, I will not run for more than two terms, serve for more than two terms? Coming back, stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do That's on the all-hit request line. Breathe, hands to heaven. That's just like a great 80s video there. <laughs> Spotlight and darkness with smoke through the light. <laughs> Images of the singer superimposed over things. You can't quite figure out what it is. That was pretty advanced for the day, too. Right? Gets in the cab, the old cab driver in London, I guess in England somewhere. I'm saying London, but... With a great British accent, English accent, by the way. That's going to cost you a fortune. <laughs> oh, so you'd have to say, you South Park, you think that was like 05 or so time frame? I want to say so, yeah. But, I mean, it, it was just the latest iteration of comedians being willing to poke fun at just about anybody. Because you go back to the late 70s, I want to say it was... 79, when Monty Python came out with The Life of Brian, and they have a whole scene about a guy wanting to identify as a girl. Man. Well, they were prescient, were the writers and creators, were they not? Little did they know all of that would uh, materialize the way it has. Oh, gosh. So this weekend, they had the big Pride March parade across the country, but in New York City, the largest, two million people in Manhattan. I'm looking at a photo of Mayor Eric Adams, and he's decked out in his polo with the mayor medallion, I guess, logo. 
emblazoned on the polo, and his hat says, NYC Mayor. Got the script writing of his name on the other side of his shirt. And he's hoisting with a smile on his face. Now, help me out. This isn't just the pride flag. It's the pride plus the transgender. Is this the LGBTQIA? I mean, there's so many stripes. The intersectionality flag. Okay, is that what it is? That includes the the horizontal stripes and then the triangle. And then you got the circle, and then you got the infinity symbol. And, oh, yeah. man, I can't keep up with all of it. And then, of course... Eventually, it's going to look like somebody took a stained glass window and a sledgehammer and then super glued <laughs> it all onto a flag. <laughs> and so, another popular item, of course, is the paper fan. You've seen those, when those are extended out, expanded out. And they are, of course, the... the the, the the individual fan components of the paper folded uh, are done in the pride flag. And I see New York Governor Kathy Hochul. She addressed the crowd. You know, I'm fine. You want to go have a parade? Okay, and you get the proper permits. I, I don't see how they should be blocked. I do have a problem, again, when government here, high-level high government officials seem to be advocating for and promoting a single group, exclusive group. I mean, they don't do this like for heterosexual white males, do they? Is there such a parade for that? I don't think so. And I don't want one, by the way. But when these politicians come out, you know, as a badge of honor, show their support. And there's Kathy with a big smile. She spoke, I don't know, I just find that inappropriate. Just as the same as hanging the flag at the portico at the White House and having a big celebration on the White House lawn, and and uh, one of the attendees running around the place uh, topless, bearing all. Well, so I I saw some video. There was um, there's there's a Twitter account I can't remember the name of it that follows this stuff. It's they're like a photographic videographic journalist, and they follow this sort of stuff, post it on their Twitter feed. And so it featured what looks like a late 50s, early 60s-year-old man, white man, and all he's wearing is briefs. And he's got a big old belly. He's a portly dude. And he's twerking in the middle of the street. And there are children around. Well, the first thing is, it's gross. If you want to know the truth, you want to do that in private, I don't care. That's just gross and inappropriate. That seems to me to sort of cross the line of having permission to conduct a parade. Uh, second thing is, why are kids there? Why are, why are people bringing kids? And I saw many kids all dressed in the various LGBTQ regalia. Small kids. Also pets. What is up with that? Why do we have to sexualize small children like that? Can't, why do they have to be introduced to... Because these degenerates revolve their entire personality and lifestyle on their sexual preference. It's disgusting. It's reprehensible. 
It's if you ask them to describe themselves, you're going to get a litany of intersectionality in all the different ways they are members of the Rainbow Coalition and Alphabet Soup, and you're not actually going to hear anything about them. It's just about who they like to sleep with. Well, it's... Again, I, I don't care, and I, and that's just it. You You keep... I'll say it again. You keep just poking us in the eye, shoving it down our throats, attempting to brainwash. The other thing that was caught, you've probably seen this on video, was uh, a, a group chanting, a group of, uh, of attendees, the LGBTQ people, saying, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your kids. Now, they say it was a joke. They say it was a joke to ridicule conservatives. So, and this is what they say, if you oppose this sort of behavior, this sort of content being exposed to young children, you're a fascist. You want to ban books and content. No, that's just common sense, dignity, decency. And they say the same thing about castration and mutilating young bodies. That that's just, that's health care. In fact, also, we had the recent passing of the anniversary of the Dobbs decision. And the president, two days ago, he goes to Twitter, somebody does on his behalf, I commit to the American people that we're going to keep fighting to safeguard access to health care, including the right to choose, which was ripped away by an, an extreme it's extreme Supreme Court decision, you know, sending this matter back to the states in accordance with the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution. It was a bad decision from the get-go. That's extreme. This is why they want to expand the courts. They want to introduce term limits on the courts. And with the, the White House presidential seal at the top, underneath in this this um, background, kind of beige background, underneath you see a quote from President Joe Biden. Together we will restore the right to choose for every woman in America, in every state in America. Oh, gee, great. Thanks. Thanks there, Joe. Unbelievable. Democrats hate America. They just do. They hate it. They're responsible for most of this. They hate America. It's it's crazy as it is, but they have replaced individualism with collectivism, groupism, colorblindness. That's racist. First, it was, we just want you to be colorblind. Let's go back to Martin Luther King, it's what he said. Content of one's character, not the color of their skin. That was his words. I guess they disagree with uh, the doctor now, huh? Capitalism, prosperity, well, those are being replaced with socialism and fanatical, radical climate change. It's it's off the charts, man. It's It's... It's bothersome. Uh, 
Where does that end? I don't know. Lots of text here on the ceasefire text line, and we appreciate all the engagement. Uh, Gerard, it is is the South Park truly amazing that they came up with a trans episode, or could it be what you and Shad were discussing, grooming of society? Well, as Rhino points out, even going back to 79 with Monty Python, the discussion of this and the sort of pernicious spread of this has been going on for a while. I think the difference is that this, this kind of agenda is no longer behind the scenes. It's front and center. It's, it's no longer veiled. It's been totally exposed. And again, the, what Shad and I were talking about, I think we both agree, balance is the key. We're fine with balance. It's when it's so skewed to one side that it just dominates and consumes the agenda and the discussion. We're coming right back. Half an hour left on Middays. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass has a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Wealth Studios. Don't forget, tomorrow we're down in Biloxi for the Mississippi Municipal League MML conference going on down there. We, I think we're going to have a pretty good lineup for you to talk to some of the municipal and county leaders from across the state. Looking forward uh, to that. So that's coming up tomorrow. Lots of texts rolling in on the ceasefire text line. Going to try to get to some of those. Appreciate all the engagement as well, folks. Really do. Gary in the Berg started out by saying, ask the auditor about two-parent families. Yeah, we did. I'm sure you heard that, uh, Gary. Um, liking this discussion on the universities, keeping it going. Appreciate that. I enjoyed the discussion as well with the auditor. I'm glad he's calling some attention to this. This is happening, even though we don't think it is in our state. And he did share some actual circumstances, uh, incidents uh, in universities in a recent op-ed he wrote. I encourage you to check it out. Gary says they were indoctrinating students at Mississippi College with a version of CRT as far back as around 2014. I read a couple of pages, and it was all about race. Very disturbing. And I hear you, Gary. I, I don't... I don't really have a problem with that per se. I have a problem when that's the only point of view that is presented. And it is in that point of view is strongly pushed and advocated for by a professor, for example, in a classroom. This is this is what you're going to learn and this is it. This is what we're going to discuss. We're not going to talk about counterpoints, counterviews, and you just have to accept this. That's where I have a problem, when there's there's no balance. And that's what the auditor said. 
And it is true that it's very one-sided, very lopsided across uh, the higher ed landscape in the country. No doubt about it. Ceasefire text president-elect says, push back hell. It's time to fight and get mean to these damn fools. So Carol in Starkville wants you to know that it's just all part of this new world movement that they're just pushing on us, and they're doing it at all levels of government. A DEI event going on as we speak at UMC for incoming resident physicians. UMMC admissions are not based on merit. Worked there and have watched it for years. I've heard the same from friends in the medical field. Uh, it, it is concerning. And that's happening across the country. We're going to get a pivotal ruling, Rhino, later this week from the Supreme Court. It's a big week, by the way, for the Supreme Court, end of June. That's when, I don't remember the schedule precisely, but it's this week when we're going to get a lot of rulings. And that's the way it works at the Supreme Court. You go for a period of really no rulings being handed down, and then all of a sudden it's just a it's a mad dash. It's a deluge of them. And this is the week. So uh, on the radar, expecting a ruling on affirmative action in admissions in colleges, whether or not affirmative action can be employed in selecting applicants for admission. This is going to be a big deal. Vivek Ramaswamy, by the way, we've told you about this before, he wants to end affirmative action in the government with an executive order day one. That would be quite the departure from the Biden administration policies because he, he made it front and center, a requirement, a mandate, a dictate across the agency spectrum upon the first day he was elected, that and climate change. In all policy making, in all operational matters, those, those have to be key factors in decision making, including hiring people. It's, it's a problem. It's a parent of an Ivy League graduate who lost any concept of how the world works. His indoctrination started at our very own Mississippi School of Math and Science, says John. And whatever evidence you have of that, John, send it to us. I'd like to see it. And I'm not doubting you. I just would, for further exposure and, and analysis... Unfortunately, the Gordian knot analogy you mentioned, says Reese in Clarksdale, earlier was solved at the end of a sorb. That's true. There's no future for young people in Mississippi. Well, I don't believe that. I really don't. And I we, we sim- simply cannot just mire in that sort of dour outlook. We, we, we've got to be optimistic. Optimism, I believe, breeds good outcomes, and we've got to think optimistically. We've got to envision good outcomes. That's how they come to pass, how they materialize. I'm not giving up. We've got our share of challenges, there's no doubt. And some days they look insurmountable, but they can be addressed. Again, I'd like to say, back to these folks running for office, you know, I understand the red meat rhetoric. I, I do. And, and people, unfortunately, Rhino, I think you would probably agree if you don't let me know. They, they, they sort of live vicariously through these candidates and that they want to see, go get a pound of flesh for me. Put it on them. To a certain extent, yeah. 
And that's what gets attention. Sometimes it gets you elected. So I see a lot of candidates talking about the Second Amendment, for example. And that's fine. We, I believe in the Second Amendment, fully support the Second Amendment. But I'm not sure there's anything specific at the state level that is urgent with respect to that, that needs to be addressed. It, it, maybe I'm missing something. I, I didn't see any bills, for example, any activity along those lines. But that's just that's one thing. And again, what we were talking about earlier, so I've, I've seen candidates say, we got to strengthen our gun laws. Well, what does that mean exactly? What, what needs to be strengthened? Hmm. And I think it's, we can say we're against federal overreach. I'm for that as well. But you know, the remedy to that is file a lawsuit at the federal government. It, the Roe, the Dobbs case, that's an example. That's a glaring example of how to address and seek a remedy for that. Which that's the irony of the left screaming judicial activism. Right. Like it wasn't judicial activism when they implemented Roe? It totally was. Totally was. So, you know, and I've seen candidates say that Mississippi needs to strive for financial and energy independence. Is that possible? So we just should form our own country? We fail. Sorry, we fail. We're three to one money from the other states into our state relative to what we send. We rely on the other states, unfortunately the deep blue states, for our very existence. Now, I'd like to change that dynamic. Talked about it for years. How do you do that? Grow the economy. That's how you do it. There's no other path. But nobody talks about that. Now, the president today, for example, is going to talk about how successful his economic policies have been because of the jobs created. And, and this is a unique time in our history where jobs ain't the problem. We got plenty of jobs. We need people to get off their butts and go to work. We also have a problem in that people aren't reproducing. They don't want to reproduce. They don't want to be parents. Yeah, safety net should not become a hammock. Right, and it has. And that all started uh, with the pandemic. And then you've got the situation where the president... And I heard Corrine Jean-Pierre late last week say, the reason inflation is hanging around is because of corporate greed. Those corporations, they're just charging too much money. That irritates me to no end. So what do you want to do? Step in? Yeah, you do. You want to control the price. You want to control what they sell. You want to control who they hire, what they pay them. That's what you want. Folks, that's socialism. That's the essence of socialism. That's central planning of an economy. Jeff in Forest County asked me a minute ago, what is socialism? I said, you want to know that, Jeff? Okay. Among his other asinine ramblings. I saw it. But, yeah, that's what it is. It's when a central authority determines the production, seizes the means of production, controls it, determines the amount of goods and services produced, how they get allocated, and at what price. That's socialism. I mean, why does he ask that question? Pretty much think I understand that. It's central planning. It's bureaucrats. It's Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Liz Warren, Chuck Schumer. 
They're going to tell corporations what they can charge for their goods and services. You know why the corporations keep raising their prices, sometimes more than inflation? Because the stupid federal government showered the nation with money out of helicopters. People are buying it. That's why. Stop buying it if you don't like it. You want them to lower the prices. It's just simple. Coming back with a final segment on middays on this Monday, and then Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day. Back with you in the Element Well Studios. It's middays on the C Spire text line. So if the problem is kids being raised in a single-parent household and that correlates to a society without values and morals, and with our state being ranked number one in the country with kids being raised in fatherless homes, why is our state one of the most conservative states? Don't think there's really a relationship there between that, honestly. Don't really think there is. Let's see. Big fan of the auditor. Very disappointed in his comment about Coca-Cola at the beginning of the show. Coca-Cola never conducted DEI training. Tell employees they should be less white. Coca-Cola had a contact with a third-party vendor that provided access to thousands of training videos. That training was never utilized by the company once it was known that the training existed, the company was ter- the company the contract part of me was terminated with the provider. Coca Cola is a great company that employs hundreds of Mississippians and invests heavily in our communities. We should be careful not to fall prey to social media slander. Well, there was uh, some information leaked from inside the company. I'll do a little research on that as well, but uh, to suggest that Coca Cola. And frankly, most every large corporation and even medium-sized corporation in the country doesn't have some sort of DEI programs in, in place. Is is just really not being realistic, not being honest about what's going on. Of course they do. Of course they do. And it's more to it than that. But utilizing it in and um, their their hiring practices as well, promotion, etc., job assignment. So we'll look into that, but um, I can tell you that there are a number of people that are investors in Coca-Cola, I among them, that are concerned about placing that ahead of profit. So we'll look into that. Let's see. Enjoyed that interview. Only way to enact change is to get folks talking about the issue, says Ben. Totally agree. Let's see, let's see. Let them be in Space Force and aliens probe them talking about the <laughs> the head of the Space Force promoting the pride agenda of the uh, of that unit. How do we combat it on the grassroots level? I, I would recommend you you keep in touch with your local leaders, school boards in particular. That's where it gets started. We've seen gosh. More exposure right on the last couple of years, more video and reports of school board meetings maybe in the last couple of years than in our history 
to that point. That's become ground zero. And that's all because parents got wind of what their kids were were being uh, taught, if you could call it teaching. They got wind of that while the kids were at home, zooming into the classroom. And they'd pass by the screen and say, what the heck is that? And, and that's what, really, that's what launched it. No doubt about it. When you say single-parent household, does that include a household or both parents are very active in the child's life but are divorced or just a single parent without the other? There's no way to measure that. Jeff from Loosedale writes that in. There's no way to measure it. It's, it's just a record of um, households that have a parent and a child living in it. And I can tell you how you can tell. Tax returns. It comes from tax returns. They would file head of household tax return, for example. And the other parent that does not have custody of the child would not. So that's how you get to that. I mean, it's – and again, I'm not saying, Jeff, that there are situations where both parents can stay active in a child's life. But let's let's think about what causes single-parent households. It's out of wedlock births. That's a big, big reason. And then, of course, it's births that happen after a couple is married, but then they split. They divorce. So, gosh, all you got to do is go look at the, the deadbeat dad's roles at Department of Human Services. It's massive. Can't catch them all. Can't run them down. Let's see. Make sure you grab my buddy, Mayor Chip Johnson, from Hernando tomorrow. I'll, I'll certainly try to do that. Appreciate you writing in. Let me know. When I agree with you on the subject, the kids are more likely to succeed in a two-parent home. There are exceptions. My wife was killed in an automobile accident when my son was two, and I've raised him on my own as a single parent. He's now 14, straight A's, A and B, honor roll, uh, member of the choir, and I've set up a trust fund for him. So I agree with you, but there are exceptions. And I said that. I appreciate that, Stephen Gulfport, for pointing that out. But I said that. I say it every time. Of course. I'm not making... A, there are a, outliers in any statistical analysis. No doubt. I'm not making a, a broad, catch-all, 100% absolute statement when I say that. And, and if you remember, uh, Steve, what we always preface it with is just statistical probabilities. And that means, in this case, less than 100%. There, there are no statistics. says, yeah, 100% of the time, kids are coming. But, I, man, I'm sorry to hear about your experience there in the uh, loss of your your wife and kudos to you for making sure that your child gets the proper upbringing i'm sure they're going to do great based on what you're telling us there man we got so much stuff today we couldn't get to it all it's a two-hour day and uh, i apologize for that but it's a two-hour day and we had a i think an extended interview a necessary extended interview with state auditor but We'll continue the discussion somewhat tomorrow, but even more so later in the week. We're out of here today, down on the coast tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.